A life without love, that's terrible. No, being on the street, that's terrible. No. What? Love is like oxygen. What? Love is a many splendid thing. What? Love lifts us up where we belong. All you need is love. Please don't start that again. All what? you need is love. A girl has got to eat. All you need is love. She'll end up on the street. All you need uh, is love. Love is just a game. A poet and a courtesan fall in love at a famous Parisian cabaret. Special guest star Courtney Noah joins us to talk about what happens when you drink absinthe, how you can spread tuberculosis by singing, and which one of us is a bohemian. Then we find out if Moulin Rouge stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of The Test of Time. My name is Alan Noah, and I've got two people here with me today. Two people that you love. Indeed. My (laughs) regular wife and my podcast wife. Partner. No, 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 podcast wife is fine. Okay. All right. (laughs) So, uh, James Brief, you're here, and Courtney Noah, you're back too. Hello. Hi. This is your sixth episode on The Test of Time. What do I get at number six? Um, you get the prestige that comes with being on the podcast six times. No new hoodie. No cool sweatshirt. No, 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 no. Wait till 10, though. Wow. <laughs> we haven't had anyone hit 10 yet, and we haven't made any plans about that. Am I in the running for 10? Well, you're at six, so Am I mathematically. The uh, I think Darren was at six, and Adam's at six as well. We're safe. There are a lot more Star Trek films to review. So we are safe. We're going to be going for a while, this podcast. Oh, God help me. Uh, But this is actually (laughs) your fourth Valentine's Day episode. Yes. So I guess it's become... I'm very versed in those romantic movies. Right. Although one of those Valentine's Day movies was Silence of the Lambs. So True. Yeah, not the most romantic. But I do love Jodie Foster, so that counts. There you go. And then we did uh, Sleepless in Seattle. Mm-hmm. That was the first one. And then My Best Friend's Wedding, then Silence of the Lambs, and then your two non-Valentine's Day episodes were Moonstruck and 9 to 5. So Valentine's Day was coming up. It's uh, in a couple days, and we were talking about having you back on again. And you said you wanted to talk about Moulin Rouge. Why would you pick this movie? Well, it had been a while since I've seen it, and it was kind of funny that it had been so long because I was really obsessed with it when it came out, the soundtrack, and then for some reason, I think we were talking about it, and I pulled it up, and we started listening to the music, and I knew every word in the song by heart and was just belting it out. So I was like, yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, and it's a good enough movie for a, a Valentine's Day episode. It's a love story. I think at one point I was thinking about the Boz Lerman, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's what triggered. Yeah. Yeah. And you were like, eh, on that one. I'd never seen that movie or the other one in his 
um, Red Curtain trilogy. What's that other movie? It's um, Australia. No, it was a different one. Uh, Australia was later. It's um, hold on. Let me pull. Strictly Ballroom was the first one. I had never seen any of these movies. James, had you seen any of them? No, I hadn't. Um, but there was one thing that I was very fond of his in the 90s. Do you know what that is? I do not. It was a radio single of his. Do you guys remember his radio single? No. Baz Luhrmann had a, I think it was like a remake or a, I think it was a remake of like a 60s PSA or something that he extended. Do you remember Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen? Yes. That was this guy? That was this guy. Oh, that was so painfully terrible. I hated that. I remember that song and just thinking like it was obnoxious and pretentious and like, shut up, guy. That guy is Baz Luhrmann. I did not know that. Do you know this song? No, no. I'm super curious. I feel like maybe, but I I can't like pull it up in my head. I feel like it was pretty forgettable. And then didn't Chris Rock do a parody of it about uh, there's no sex in the champagne room? I remember that more. It was like this kind of like spoken word thing in the Baz Luhrmann song. It's like, but whatever happens, don't forget you got to wear sunscreen. And then the Chris Rock one, it's like, but don't forget, whatever happens, there's no sex in the champagne room. That sounds more familiar. Yeah, yeah, that one I liked. That one I thought was was funnier. Here's a clip from Everybody's Free to Wear Sunscreen. Do one thing every day that scares you. Sing. Don't be reckless with other people's hearts. Don't put up with people who are reckless with yours. Yeah, shut up, guy. I don't need your life advice. Come on. This is like crap you see like an Instagram, you know, like when people post annoying inspirational quotes. Like, fuck this guy. Admittedly, some of them are, but I I, kind of like it. I don't know. I haven't heard it in 20 years. I haven't heard it in 20 years until you made me listen to it and I'm mad at you. But along those lines... You made me like a couple of mix CDs. Am I embarrassing you by telling you oh, this? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think you gave me one for Valentine's Day. Actually, it was probably Valentine's Day 2002, so 20 years ago. And the elephant medley from this movie was on there. It's amazing. It's, I mean, you have to love that song. I, it has like all the best love songs on there. Yes, but it's also a guy declaring his love to a woman who's saying, you can't be with me unless you pay. You pay. <laughs> right. Which was a little bit of a mixed message for us in our relationship. But, you know, whatever. Um, Still romantic. It is. And we, many years later, went to the Moulin Rouge in Paris. James, have you ever been there? No, no. I've been to uh, the Paris Hotel in Las Vegas. <laughs> okay. Do Close. They, do, do they have like a Moulin Rouge, like mini knockoff thing? I'm pretty sure they do. If they don't, they have something like it. Yeah. I mean, I would think that they would, you know, do a cabaret show in Las Vegas, right? Seems like a, a missed opportunity if they don't. Um, but I mean, you've, you've been to France. Yes, yes, I have. Uh, I did not go to the Moulin Rouge. You, you guys did? We did. We did. And it's a little bit of like a touristy thing. I mean, admittedly, we went to Paris and we went to the Eiffel Tower, the Louvre. We went to, you know, like the typical spots that you go to in Paris. So we went to Moulin Rouge, but we also did more than just the typical tourist things. We went to the south of France and went exploring there, too. Right. But when you're in Paris, I feel like you have to go to the Moulin Rouge. You should. It's an experience. It is an experience. I remember liking it. I remember having a good time. 
Yeah, there were drinks involved, so, you know, that helps. Every party gets their own bottle of champagne, right? Yes. So, yeah, definitely we had a bottle of champagne, and I'm sure we had drinks with dinner beforehand. And we may have tried to steal someone else's bottle of champagne after having our own. (laughs) Well, right, because the guy next to us just wasn't drinking their champagne, right? And we were like, I bet we could just take it, and he wouldn't notice. And then he did take it, so we didn't. Right. But James, why don't you tell us about the movie Moulin Rouge, which is different from the place Moulin Rouge. Okay. Um, This movie is about Christian, played by Ewan McGregor, and he's an English poet who travels to Paris in 1899. There he's recruited by a group of local bohemians who are hoping to stage a play in a club named the Moulin Rouge. Christian goes to the club where he meets Satine, played by Nicole Kidman. Satine is a beautiful courtesan. Christian falls for Satine, but she has been ordered to sleep with the Duke a wealthy investor who can turn the Moulin Rouge from a club into a respectable theater. But when Satine falls for Christian, uh, she refuses the Duke's advances. When the Duke discovers their affair, he vows to have Christian killed, so Satine rejects Christian, breaking his heart in order to save his life. Everything comes to a head at the play's opening night, but will love triumph? I don't know. Let's find out, and let's find out through the magic of song. And podcasting. And dance. Mm-hmm. And no, it's love. Bad. Oh, yeah. I love, too. <laughs> sure. And I remember when this movie came out that it was a big hit. I remember the Lady Marmalade cover was on the radio constantly. I had never seen this movie before just last night. I know you have, Courtney. Did you first see it in the theater? I can't remember. I feel like I must have. But I also had it on, on DVD. Right, right. And we still have that DVD downstairs. Right. James, uh, you you didn't see it in the theater, right? No, I actually saw it for the first time last night. Okay, well, very good. But a lot of other people saw it in the theater. It was a, it was a pretty big hit, right? Um, well, actually, it, it opened soft, and then its major opening was actually on June 1st, 2001. Its official opening date was uh, May 18th, 2001. And this movie had a $50 million budget, and it came in at number four with $13.7 million. There's one thing that's totally fair to have beaten it, Shrek. I mean, that, that was dominating. Number three in its debut, that was... A Rob Schneider film, and it was one of those Rob Schneider is a blank. Like, do you remember which one this was? I mean, either Deuce Bigelow. No. Deuce Bigelow colon European Gigolo. No. The Animal? Correct. Oh my God. Okay. That beat Moulin Rouge? So, I mean, I assume there's probably some underlying love story in The Animal. So, that love story beat Moulin Rouge. Shrek, that's a lovely uh, love story. That beat Moulin Rouge. Okay, maybe a little more accessible to to people. You know, a simple cartoon. Also had music in it, though. Mm -hmm. But number one, that destroyed all of these films. I guess you could call it a love story for the ages. Because, I mean, it's basically all these films combined. It's a big love story with the backdrop of a really big tragic event. Pearl Harbor? That's right. A love story oh, for the God. ages. Oh, <laughs> I don't think you could call that movie a love story or honestly even a story. It's not a story. It just... <laughs> for three hours. But I digress. That's crazy. Isn't that like most Marvel movies, though? No. Come no, on. no, no, no. Those <laughs> movies have stories 
and action. The Marvel films that usually do have overall consistent quality in their films. Not a horrible first half, then interesting 45 minutes, and then why is there a third act? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the film actually only uh, grossed $57 million in the States. It grossed $180 million worldwide. The uh, soundtrack was a smash. Did you have the CD? I think so. I must have. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's. Oh, I downloaded like... it from like Napster. <laughs> <gasps> you downloaded music illegally from Napster? I think everyone did. Well, if everyone jumped off the Brooklyn Bridge, Courtney, would you go too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. We all downloaded music from Napster. But the way that the movie opens with like the. The Red Curtain on, like, the 20th Century Fox. When you said the Red Curtain trilogy, by the way, did he do three films that all opened like this? I don't know. I was going to ask you guys. You hadn't seen Strictly Ballroom or The Romeo and Juliet? No, I've seen The Romeo and Juliet. I actually don't like that because it was a movie we had to watch when we read Romeo and Juliet in school. And so it's, like, associated with schoolwork. Gotcha. Do you remember (laughs) if it opened with The Red Curtain? Uh, I don't remember that part. Okay. If anyone who has seen those movies wants to write us at Test of Time Pod and let us know, I know that those three movies are called the Red Curtain Trilogy. And I think that's just like what they call the box set of DVDs. I don't know that it's like a real official thing. The three movies aren't really tied together in any way. In the Bazaverse? The, the, the Lermaniverse? I like Bazaverse. Okay, fine. Yeah, Bazaverse. Bazaverse, sure. We'll go with that. But the opening of the movie, it is really... It's like a roller coaster ride. Yeah, it's really, really fast cut. It is edited in the MTV style of editing. It can also be called post-classical editing, but it's basically just like everything that you see on screen is on screen for like a fraction of a second, literally. And it's just going so damn fast. And I associate this kind of editing with TV Because, you know, I worked at MTV and that's the kind of shows that they produced. But you don't see that in a ton of movies. And I was just curious, when you saw this movie, Courtney, like for the first time, did that kind of like blow your mind? Like the whole like visual style of it? Um, I don't remember for the first time if that did. But watching it this time, I was like, whoa, is this how the whole movie is? I don't remember (laughs) it being this fast. You know, the impression now was it was like a little overwhelming but then it slows down yeah it's not like that the whole movie but it definitely like gets your attention right out of the gate with the visual style which i'm guessing is like a Baz Luhrmann signature oh well yeah and Romeo and Juliet it's like the fast cut and yeah I would say that's his, his style okay it gets your attention and I mean I think it's supposed to like put you in this atmosphere of this club which is part of the underworld and you know it's a little bit seedy and people there are drunk or high or both or whatever and it's supposed to make you feel like you know being in that kind of environment i guess if you're drunk on absinthe are you drunk or high or both well have you ever tried absinthe i have Absinthe is, uh, you know, it always had this mythical allure that it's a hallucinogen. I just went to Europe uh, after college and there was a place that would give you absinthe and they poured it over a sugar cube Mm -hmm. and you had to wait. It was just licorice liqueur. And it's now legal here. And I've tried it once or twice here. 
It's just alcohol. I think it was all lie. I, I, I mean, did you ever try it? I did. I remember I drank it once after college and it messed me up. Yeah, I, mean, I was going to say, like, I think back then it was made differently than maybe it's made today. Like more than alcohol? Like, did you like trip or did you just get really drunk? I, <laughs> I got really drunk. I remember I was in the city. I tried it at a party. Then I took the Long Island Railroad home and I completely passed out on the train. I only woke up at my stop because the conductor was nice enough to wake me up. And like, I don't ever pass out like that. That is not a thing with me. I, I can I can hold my alcohol okay. Like it really just knocked me out. I was I wasn't hallucinating and seeing the little green fairy, but I was definitely more than just regular drunk. The green fairy in this movie, by the way, played by Kylie Minogue, who is, no offense, honey, but a babe. <laughs> I read a story that uh, Kylie Minogue like took um, Kylie Jenner to court because Kylie Jenner tried to copyright the name Kylie. Really? And then Kylie Minogue like, basically was like, yeah, everywhere else in the world, like Kylie means me. So I believe it was struck down. Really? I mean, yeah, she's a big deal. I met her at Saturday Night Live, and she is a babe in person. I'm going to stop talking about other women being a babe because my wife is giving me dirty looks. I'm sorry. <laughs> I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. This is Day. the Valentine's Day episode. You <laughs> I'm know. sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but while Christian is in Paris, he meets this group of bohemians, and one of them is played by John Leguizamo. Is he supposed to be a little person? So Toulouse Lautrec actually did have um, shorter stature, <laughs> we should say. Okay. Um, so that was true to his historical character. Oh, he's a real person. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, he was known in like the impressionistic age. Oh, okay. I As don't... an artist. Okay, I don't know my art history as well as you do. Clearly. Oh, I guess not. <laughs> okay, so he was just a short person, but not a little person. Yes. Okay. So basically, a Christian winds up meeting these uh, Bohemians, and before he knows it, he's going to be writing a play for them called Spectacular Spectacular. And there's no specific uh, plot to it yet, but they figure out that they got to get this woman Satine. So they're going to go down to see her performance at the Moulin Rouge. Right. And then it's like extra crazy fast when we're in the Moulin Rouge. And the song that's playing is this mashup of Lady Marmalade, which was the, the hit single, and also Smells Like Teen Spirit. Apparently, Courtney Love auditioned for the role of Satine and didn't get it, but she still allowed the producers to use the song, which I guess is cool of her. Having just watched Courtney Love in 200 Cigarettes, I think it's probably better that Nicole Kidman got the part um, because I didn't think Courtney Love was the best actress in that movie. In her defense, there is this clip apparently from, uh, it's some Axis Hollywood red carpet thing. It's, it's amazing. And it comes from like 2003 or something. One of these reporters goes up to her and says, what advice do you have for young women coming to Hollywood? And she goes, if Harvey Weinstein invites you upstairs at the Chateau Marmot or whatever that. Marmont. Uh, Marmont. Yeah. Don't go. And apparently, 
Mr. Weinstein was not very happy that this off-the-cuff remark was made. This is on the record. This is like 2002. So if she got blacklisted for that, like, good for her for actually saying that. Maybe no one heard it, but maybe someone did. So, you know, she may have saved one person. Interesting. All right. Good for her. Um, But also... Nicole Kidman can sing. Like, I asked you this last night when we were watching the movie. I was like, oh, is that really Nicole Kidman singing? Is that really Ewan McGregor singing? And apparently it is. That's them, like, doing the songs. Yeah, they did a great job. I mean, one thing that's interesting, though, if you think about it, so it takes place in France, but they have their own accent, their native accents in the in the movie, which wasn't, you know altered or changed in any way. Right. And Ewan McGregor is playing a character who's English, so fine. But Nicole Kidman has an Australian accent, and it's never addressed in the movie that she's actually Australian, or is it? No. No, I don't think so. No, I think we're just, like, overlooking accents. (laughs) Right. I mean, and everyone speaks English all the time, too, in Paris. And Ewan McGregor, uh, he sang a couple years ago in uh, Beauty and the Beast. That is true. Right. I forgot about that. He was uh, Lumiere, right? Yes, correct. But uh, Christian uh, meets Satine. She's got a great uh, entry down from the ceiling, which was actually exactly as one of the people were introduced in the Cirque du Soleil that I just saw. You could tell also might have been able to be done in 1900. And she has a great dance number. And her and Christian, they hit it off very quickly. But uh, Satine actually passes out. And Uh, coughs up blood. Yeah, so that that's kind of weird. At first, you're not sure what it is, and there's this uh, one guy that kind of runs the show, and he kind of does one of these, like, uh, it's all part of the show, folks, and he has everyone applaud her Ziggler. when she kind of passes out. Yeah, Ziggler. The, yeah. He, he's the ringleader, sort of. Right, right. And so there's two separate plots going on where Satine is supposed to sleep with the Duke because the Duke is this rich investor and he's going to make the Moulin Rouge like go from like this little club to a legitimate theater. And there's the other plot from the Bohemians where they're trying to get Christian to pitch Satine on the show because if she likes the show, then they'll be able to do it. But there's a mix-up. Satine thinks that Christian is the Duke, and so she brings him to her room, and there's a lot of double entendres where he's like, oh, are we going to do it? I just want to get it over with. And she's offended because he's talking about pitching her on the story, and she thinks that he's talking about sex, and it's kind of funny. He says, I have new ways that you may find strange, and I got a few chuckles out of you during that part. Yeah, that was definitely funny. I think we we said this earlier. She is a courtesan. Courtesan? Courtesan. Courtesan, which basically just means prostitute. High class. Oh, okay. High class. I mean, as in she's not Anne Hathaway's Fontaine from Les Mis. You ever see Les Mis? No, I did not. Okay, well, that's more of the, uh, I guess you'd call it the streetwalker versus this is supposed to be, like already said, this is the high class what today would be the in the brothel the es- house. Yes, the escort. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. So there's this mix-up, but clearly Christian likes Satine. Earlier, he was talking about how he's in love with love. He's a hopeless romantic, and he'd never been in love. But he quickly falls for Satine. And Satine is basically just pretending to be in love with Christian because she that's like her job. She wants to get this funding because she thinks that he's a duke. 
So they push the Duke out and then he comes back in and he sees Christian and Satine together. Then he's like, what's going on? And they come up with this idea of like, oh, this is the play. This is what we're going to do. And they basically improvise the whole plot on the spot, which is basically what's happening there, where there's a penniless uh, sitar player and he falls in love with a beautiful courtesan. He's just kind of like, saying what's happening to him. But I love how he's making it up. He's like, uh, a sitar player, because he sees our sitar in the corner of the room. Although that was actually influenced. I read that um, Boz Lerman. Lerman. <laughs> that Boz Lerman um, had gone to India and had done some research on Bollywood movies, and that was for another movie he was doing, and so that kind of came in and influenced the spectacular, spectacular theme. Right. And there's also elements of the whole plot, not of spectacular, spectacular, but of all of Moulin Rouge, which come from La Boheme and some other like famous operas. So this movie is kind of like a pastiche of like some Bollywood influences and some opera influences and like all of these different things that Baz Luhrmann kind of just like threw in a blender, you know, and also, you know, Nirvana and modern songs that he just threw all together. Roxanne. Roxanne, (laughs) right, exactly. Queen, Wings, like, you know, all of these random things. That's sort of just how this movie kind of came together. I do like how they sell this uh, story to the Duke and they have this song about it'll go on for 50 years. He totally goes for it. Uh, There's a great cover of, um, well, not cover, but I guess you'd call it uh, a song inspired by uh, David Bowie's Heroes. There are some original songs, but a lot of them are certainly based on more contemporary songs that, of course, were not around the 1900. Right. Well, that's part of the Elephant Love medley, right, Heroes? Yes. That's like a greatest hits of like... A million yeah, different... Yeah, U2 is in there, I think, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. yeah. In the Name of Love, All You Need Is Love, Silly Love Songs. There's a bunch in that one little medley. Yep. I think it's supposed to be that, like, this guy is a brilliant songwriter, you know? Like, that Christian is an amazing poet that he's able to just kind of pull out all of these lyrics out of thin air in 1900, but also it's for the audience because, hey, I know that song. But so the Duke's whole thing is that he's going to invest in Moulin Rouge, but he gets the deed for the Moulin Rouge and he gets to basically own Satine. But Satine keeps blowing him off because she keeps hanging out with Christian because even though she rebuffed his advances at first, she does eventually fall for him. Do you know what science fiction film that we reviewed that that concept reminded me of? His whole deal with uh, when you buy some real estate, you get the woman with it. It was a 70s sci-fi film. They didn't refer to the women as women. They referred to the women as furniture. Um, was it Blade Runner? No, Soil and Green. Oh, right. Right, right, right. And it was this weird thing where when you bought the apartment, it came with this young woman. Right. I don't know. It just reminded me of that. Because you're a doctor, I want to ask you, while Satine is, like, coughing up blood, I think they use the word consumption, like, later on in the movie, which is another word for tuberculosis. Like, they knew about tuberculosis in 1899, right? They used the word consumption. I was like, what was she, like, 
breathing ether. I was like, no, this is like tuberculosis. I actually just assume this is totally tuberculosis. I don't know what they called it back then, but uh, still today, tuberculosis is like a jail kind of disease or like something that's, it's not very good conditions that you'd be in. So I assume that even though she was a quote unquote high class uh, escort courtesan, she's probably She got around. (laughs) Yeah, she was not with with the cleanest people. These people just had some money. Yeah, but I think the thing that kind of surprised me was that like, no one seemed to make a bigger deal about the fact that she had this disease, which while we were watching it last night, I said to you, Courtney, I was like, is Isn't t- that c- contagious? Right? Yeah, <laughs> well, it's very contagious, but it requires four really powerful drugs to get rid of today. So in 1900, it was like, eh. Can't really do anything about it. And it's not like you're always symptomatic. I assume probably if she was going up to you and she was coughing up blood, maybe people would not want to be with her. But between coughing bouts, I guess you wouldn't really know. Well, I Googled it before because I was curious. And on medicinenet.com, I don't know how reputable of a site this is, but it says tuberculosis is highly contagious and can be transmitted from an infected person mainly when a person with TB coughs, sneezes, speaks, or even sings. So (laughs) that kind of caught my eye because Satine does a lot of singing around a lot of people. And I would think that uh, Ziegler, the ringleader, if he knows that she's coughing up blood, maybe he should not have her be the star of the show just because it's bad if she dies, but it's also going to be bad if she infects the entire company with tuberculosis maybe yes. he didn't have access to medicinenet.com which is the <laughs> stupidest name it's horrible i i agree but i think also watching this you know as we're still in a pandemic like made me think about these things that maybe baz Luhrmann wasn't really considering in 2001 when he made the movie but um yeah it seemed like that should be a bigger cause for concern yeah, I never realized that singing could be such like a super spreader event until uh, we actually listened to a church service, a virtual church service, where they said, oh, we won't be, remember? They said, yeah. we won't be singing because it could potentially spread. I'm like, huh, I guess so. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, right? If you're like, you know, really belting something out, like Satine does often in this movie, you're going to just be spreading germs into the air. Um, so as this is going on, uh, they're getting ready for the play to open, and Christian's falling more in love with Satine. The Duke is kind of seeing this as well, and he's getting more jealous. The way that the Duke finds out about uh, Satine and Christian is this other random character who's like in the company basically tells him. She doesn't explicitly say it, but she's like, don't you think that it's weird how the character really likes the poor writer i mean poor sitar player like basically connecting the dots for him that what's happening in the play is mirroring real life why does she do that this is just a jealousy thing i think this girl really hates that satine is the star i guess i could see that i was also thinking maybe it was just like she likes drama she just wanted to you know mix things up but like isn't that also bad for her because if the play goes under if Moulin Rouge goes under then she's out of a job I guess I just thought that like maybe she should have been like more of a character yeah but I don't I don't think everyone understood the implications of what Ziegler had signed up for okay that kind of came to light even for Satine I don't think she realized that he had signed the deed away and so how much was hanging on this all working out gotcha 
Okay, I guess I could see that. So she was just kind of like stirring shit up just kind of for fun, not really realizing the... Yeah, I think there's a tinge of jealousy and, and just seeking drama. Okay, fair enough. But there's just a lot of this back and forth with this love triangle. Well, I guess it's not really a love triangle because no one likes the Duke. The Duke. No, but it's a woman triangle. The, the love is in the triangle, but but Satine is in the triangle between these two men. The Duke just wants her to be with him, and he just hates the fact that she loves Christian and probably wants to be with him. But he can buy her. Right. And he doesn't understand why he's the bad guy because he's like, I'm going to provide for her and give her nice things. So doesn't that make me the hero as opposed to this poor poet guy who can't give her things? And also it was basically explicitly agreed to him in his eyes like, oh, this is just part of the transaction. I'm going to fund this play and I get to play possible profits, the Moulin Rouge, and this woman comes with it. We can certainly talk about the ethics of that, but this guy thinks that he's entitled to her. So he's like, hey, what's this uh, good looking young uh, British guy here uh, doing here? Right, right. And when Satine and the Duke finally get together for a date night where they're really going to sleep together after Satine's been postponing it and, and finding excuses over and over again, she decides that she's not going to do it, even though she and Christian have like agreed that she's going to and they've talked about it. She doesn't go through with it. The Duke tries to rape her. Then another guy comes in and like stops it from happening, who is also just another person in the company who we also don't really know a lot about that guy right he was the one who caught her the first time though when she fainted right when she fainted from like high up and yeah he caught her. yeah so i think it's just like he he seems kind of like protective of her right right but then christian and satine decide they're going to run off together the hell with the show this is before opening night but then when Ziegler tells satine that she's dying then she has second thoughts because Ziegler says the Duke's going to kill Christian, so if you love him, you will stay. But I didn't really get the logic of that. If she's dying, why does she care about putting on the show? She should just want to spend the rest of her time with the man she loves, right? I felt like that was yeah, a little weird. it is a little weird, unless she feels loyalty to the Moulin Rouge and making sure that like the company and everyone don't lose everything. Because if she ran away, then... That would happen, right? The Duke would take everything. They say the words and sing the words many times. The show must go on. So if she does leave, someone else plays her character, right? I mean, maybe it's not as good. Maybe it's not the draw that it would be if it was Satine. But I don't know. I just felt like the, no, no, you're dying. And, you know, the Duke will kill Christian. So you better stay. I just felt like the, that A to B to C logic didn't really make a ton of sense for me. I'm glad you thought it was a little weird, too. So it's not yeah, just you just have to go with it, though. Okay, fine. Well, the, the Duke, he's very jealous of this. And based on the things that the uh, other dancer is hinting to him, he decides, no, I don't want this play to end with uh, the, the poor sitar player. I want the, the woman. She's going to end with the rich guy at the end. And he basically says, I'm only going to fund the play if it's like this. So now we're at opening night. And it comes to the point, you know, which ending are we going to do? Are they going to do it? But um, there's a lot of uh, murder attempts at Christian. And <laughs> yeah. he winds up being uh, the on stage. And he winds up uh, singing uh, this secret song that he had written. Uh, the secret song between Christian and Satine. It is a major hit. The audience is thoroughly uh, buying that the two of them are in love. 
and everything is great. Everyone's applauding him. Uh, Christian's very happy. Uh, you know, something he wrote is is uh, you know getting such uh, such applause is something I guess every artist loves. But not everything's a happy ending, Al. Oh, right, because of the terribly contagious, deadly disease that Satine has? Well, the contagious part isn't the important part. The important part is that Satine has it. Right. <laughs> You're right. really focused on the fact that she's doing this in front of a lot of people that may possibly have gotten tuberculosis from this, but we have no idea that anyone else gets it. And if we were this three years ago, you probably wouldn't be thinking this. Oh, you're a thousand percent correct. <laughs> Definitely. I'm thinking of it now that it's like she's coughing up blood and everyone's like, let's rush over to her and breathe her air. I don't know. I mean, they like <laughs> isolated a lot of people and like, wasn't it the 50s for TB? TB has been known for a long time to be contagious. Yeah, and it was also known in 1899. I don't know if they knew it was contagious. I would maybe think that that was not clear. Maybe. But, I mean, I'm definitely looking at it from a COVID lens for sure. But, yes, the sad thing is that she dies. But before she dies, she tells Christian to write their story. So that way their love story can live on. And that's sort of like the flash forward or maybe this is the flashback or however you want to look at it but like you know him one year later in 1900 when he's been typing the story at the keyboard that's what he's doing i also kind of felt though that like he already did write their story like spectacular spectacular is their story just change you know like the setting from india to paris and it's basically the same thing right yeah I mean, it's not like just like a really complicated analogy that you really have to think about. It's a poor guy and a beautiful courtesan and an evil rich guy. I mean, it's pretty clear that that was the story. I think so. Yeah. But it has all that like musical kind of theatrical element. Maybe this was more, I don't know, literary. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. Um, the movie ends with... The Moulin Rouge kind of not doing so great, like the Moulin Rouge itself. I don't really know like the history of the Moulin Rouge, like when it was built, when it became like a tourist spot. Do you guys know? I don't know myself, but I'll bet you that the biggest tourist jump in its history was this film. Yeah, I can certainly see that. I mean, is that why you wanted to go there because of this movie? Or you would have wanted to anyway? Um, I've always been in love with like, French art history so I feel like I would have wanted to go regardless of whether or not this movie was made but I think anyone who who loves that kind of bohemian error would want to go are you bohemian I mean we've been together for a long time we've never had this conversation can you define bohemian they had their creed what um truth uh love, love. honesty maybe it's a lifestyle of like... Anti-establishment. Like, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> You're like outside of like regular society. It's been around for a long time. Uh, probably not. I probably like believe in those things, but I don't know that I'm anti-establishment. I'm not, okay. I'm not that far. Good, because I could be married to a bohemian. I would say you're more bohemian than I am. Am so. I? Uh, perhaps. <laughs> hmm. Okay. I'll take that. James, do you consider yourself bohemian? I don't, I still don't know what it means. Um, it's basically like the rhapsody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Then I would say um, on occasion. Okay. I also would have accepted the answer, scaramouche. 
<laughs> but now that we've gotten to the end of this movie, Courtney, our very special guest, please tell us if you think Moulin Rouge stands the test of time. I would absolutely say yes. Watching it again, I loved it just as much as the first time I saw it. You know, I think all the songs are, are still timeless and entertaining. It does have some cliches in there, but I, I think it embraces those. And it, it's really entertaining. It's still very different. I can't think of that many movies since that have kind of copied that style. So, yes, for me, it's a, a thumbs up. And I'm guessing you think the soundtrack also stands the test of time? Oh, absolutely. It's going to be on my list to start listening to again. Okay, so my real wife likes it. My podcast wife, James, do you think the movie stands the test of time? Well, um, I had never seen this before. And I've told you that I'm not a huge fan of musicals, but I can like them. And this Baz Luhrmann guy, I think he does have a, a, a talent. His Romeo and Juliet, uh, the uh, Claire Danes, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio film, that was at least an attempt to bring something a little difficult out of Shakespeare language, bring it to teenagers or younger people or a modern audience. And with this musical, I recognized about 70% of the music. So that was easy for me to understand that. Like, okay, I kind of, I get the beat here and oh, it's a remix of this song. And I don't know if you've seen a lot of musicals that have been adapted to, to movies. There's Les Mis and I didn't see Cats, but uh, the producers, Mamma Mia, they have varying degrees of success, but I'll take Les Mis. They did the story and it had all the songs, but it really didn't feel to me like it was Broadway. What I'm trying to get at is this really felt to me like a Broadway musical. The choreography and the music. And I'll tell you, I didn't understand the plot necessarily, what was going on through song. But that's what I get with a lot of musicals. And staying with musicals, I will usually read either the playbill when I get there and kind of like figure out what the plot of this is. Or I will read a synopsis. And for this film, I did also read a little bit about it so I could understand it better. And that's the way I like to watch musicals. And for me, this is exactly a, a broad Broadway musical. Did I love it? No. I just think it was a, it was a well done Broadway musical, and it had that feel of it. It's unique for a movie to really have that Broadway film as opposed to a good adaptation. Yeah, am I gonna watch it again? Certainly not alone, like I did on the couch <laughs> yesterday. It's not my genre, but it's it's just well done. So yeah, it stands the test of time. What do you think? Wow, about? I'm shocked by that because we we literally said when we were watching it. How much is James hating this right now? <laughs> I, I mean, probably when you're saying how much am I hating it, if, if it was all original stuff, like I've never seen The Greatest Showman, which I know people are obsessed with. I was once when I was working in, in Dublin, there was, uh, they put up a huge screen. I was like, why are there thousands of people in the park? And then people are like, they're playing The Greatest Showman. And I stuck around for a bit and everyone was singing. And these were all like, ori- I think, original songs. And that's the kind of thing I'm probably not going to like necessarily the first time I see it. Maybe. I've never seen it. But this one, because I recognize the music, that definitely pushed it like over. It's digestible. Yes, it was yeah. definitely digestible upon the first time seeing it. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely thought you were <laughs> hating it while you were watching it. I'm glad that you didn't, though. I'm, I, I appreciate that you appreciated the movie. 
I was a little surprised when you talked about Broadway musicals that have been made into movies, though. You missed what I think is one of the best. Which one? Little Shop of Horrors, which so we're actually we, going to see soon. And so. we are definitely going to review that. I, I'm actually curious about that because I have not seen that film in, in 30 years. So that would be interesting to see that one as well. And also, we should note that Moulin Rouge went the other way. It was a movie at first and now has become a Broadway musical. Yeah, but that's kind of the trend of everything. I mean, there's a Legally Blonde musical. and there's sure. a, you know, Pitch Perfect, the musical. You, you do it for everything now. Yes, that is very true. But like you're saying, this movie, you watch it, and you go, oh, yeah, this should be a musical as opposed right. to, you know, any of those other ones that you just named where it's like they're going to make it into a musical because that's what they do, whether it makes sense or not. This one really actually does make sense. Um, But I thought that this movie was really entertaining. Like we were talking about earlier with the the visual style, it really got my attention. And sometimes, you know, it's easy to get distracted and, you know, look at your phone or whatever. You can't do that watching this movie. Like, you will miss a lot. Like, I felt like I need to be paying attention at all times. I need to have my eyes glued to the screen because... It's just moving too damn fast to take your eyes away. And I think that's pretty cool. And I also think that from a test of time perspective, if attention spans were short in 2001, they've only gotten shorter now. And the fact that it's like so frantic and like hectically paced, to me, it made me think I was watching like TikTok or like reels on Instagram or something like that, where it's just like these things are like, cut really quick and they're dubbed and it's you know a mashup of songs and then it's on to the next thing and like if you missed it whatever it's just here's stuff it's happening it's in your face but not like frantic in a bad way like frantic in an interesting way and like okay cool i want to keep watching i have never seen any of the other baz Luhrmann movies the red curtain trilogy or whatever i'm a little bit curious now to see those i wonder if it's like watching a Wes Anderson movie, you know, like he has his style and you watch a Wes Anderson movie and you know, this is a Wes Anderson movie. Are all Baz Luhrmann movies like that? Maybe. Should I watch Romeo and Juliet? I don't know. Maybe. I wasn't really like excited to before, but now I'm a little bit curious to. I think that there is a lot in this movie that is unoriginal in terms of like you know the Bollywood influences the using of other plot points the using of these songs that are popular a hundred years after the movie takes place it is just a pastiche of all different things mixed together but it works really well I found it to be really entertaining I liked it I enjoyed watching it I think Ewan McGregor and Nicole Kidman were great together they are great in general on their own. I love them both, but they had really good chemistry together. I think that's another thing. All the characters are really, even beyond Nicole Kidman and Ewan McGregor, Ziggler, Toulouse-Lautrec, everyone does a really good job of portraying their characters. And John Leguizamo is actually uh, one of the most popular characters right now, at least among uh, the younger age group, having voiced Bruno. We don't talk about Bruno. Okay. I mean, we, we, we just we don't. Won't. But yeah, I mean, I do think it stands the test of time. I think it's weird that you never made me watch it before, considering how much you loved it way back when. Yeah, I don't know how you got out of that. Really. <laughs> I would have watched it with you. You uh, say that, but uh, Alan, 
Uh, how many years ago? 20 years ago? <laughs> I feel like... Maybe if, not. Back then, I was so smitten with you. If you told me to watch that movie, I would have watched it. Hmm. <laughs> or we at least different memories. <laughs> maybe. At least after you put it on the mix CD for Valentine's Day 2002. Um, no, I, I enjoyed this movie. It didn't like really necessarily make me want to go back to Paris. I mean, I would totally like to go back to Paris, but not because of the Paris that you see in this movie. I don't know. The Bohemian, I don't know. I, I, I love all things art and I think it's now that romantic. Yeah. Now that you've outed me as a Bohemian, I guess I should want to go more. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that we agree. Courtney, thank you for coming back on the show to talk about another movie you like for Valentine's Day. Thank you for having me. Anytime. I love you. Happy Valentine's Day. Love you too. I was actually talking to James, but I do love you too, Courtney. <laughs> I love you too, Al. Aw, what a romantic episode. Love fest. Love, love. <laughs> <coughs> oh, sorry. I just coughed up a little bit of blood. Sorry, I've been talking to you guys. So closely. I hope that's fine. You're ending on tuberculosis joke. Oh, no. Too soon. Too soon. Maybe too soon. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to come back to talk about a movie about arm wrestling. Yeah, that's right. We're going to talk about Over the Top. It might be the best film ever made about arm wrestling. Maybe. I've never seen it, but I can't think of a better movie about arm wrestling so i'm gonna say that you're right but until then of course we want to hear from you we are at tested time pod on facebook twitter and instagram tell us what you think about moulin rouge what you think about paris what you think about tuberculosis let us know and we'll see you next time everybody bye bye